Welcome to the B2B Video Lab, the podcast examining all things video and business to business. My guest today is Catherine Vinclair. Catherine, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. You are a voiceover artist and I came across you on LinkedIn where you've been developing your own campaign to publicise yourself for quite some time. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you work in marketing. I'm a full-time voiceover artist and voice actor. I sometimes differentiate between those two because the way that you market yourself to one section of the voiceover industry and another is quite complex and there is no one-size-fits-all. So to answer your, your marketing question, I'd say it really depends on who I'm looking to reach with a given post and what industry I am looking to talk to directly. Now, your approach on LinkedIn is, is very, very direct. You've, you've obviously done your homework in terms of researching what people's pain points are and what is the target audience that you are trying to connect with? Well, ultimately, on LinkedIn, I'm looking mostly for production companies, post-production houses, and brands that are looking to go direct to the source when booking voice talent. So you've got a direct line into, this is a bit meta, I think, for some of the people in the audience, because we're effectively two media professionals that are talking about working with other media professionals. <laughs> but um, when you, the thing that's um, got me interested in getting you on the podcast is that you have got a very concise and dedicated marketing plan demonstrating your skills, identifying the pain points of your audience and then speaking to them. What, what, what have you gone through to get yourselves ready for this sort of campaign that you've been running? Frankly, it started because I was a bit tired of all the cringe content on LinkedIn that seems incredibly self-aggrandizing. Too many posts where it's just, look at me, look at what I can do. And frankly, if you're on LinkedIn and you're advertising a service or a skill that you can offer that can benefit other people directly as a part of your work, I think the huge mistake that so many people make on LinkedIn is they just turn it into, forgive the phrase, a bit of a circle jerk. It's just a never-ending line of, oh, aren't you great? Oh, no, thank you. You're too kind. Aren't you great? And I found it quite insincere in some cases. What I know that I can do authentically on LinkedIn is address the issues that my service helps provide solutions for, because that's what I do every day. And that is the point of voiceover. That is the point of this entire industry. We are there to help clients get what they want from a voiceover performance. And I think I automatically had several areas I wanted to address in my marketing because voiceover is a hidden industry. It's not something that we know lots about. Voiceover isn't really depicted in the mainstream media in the way that, say, conventional acting is. Mm -hmm. In that if you have no connection to the film and TV industry, you've got some sense of what goes into an actor's day. You know how an actor gets cast. We know how they work with scripts, how they work characterization, how they, uh, how they shoot things, um, how they get out on the red carpet to promote everything when it's, in, when it's at the premiere. But we don't know very much about voiceover. And I want to be there to demystify that space. So by the time I'd considered all of those touch points, I had a strategy formulating in my mind without even needing to think about it in such a, a formulaic way. 
it was actually pretty organic. One of the things that you were picked out on, I noticed in some of the comments, um, some of your social media posting, um, I haven't looked across the other platforms, but on LinkedIn recently, somebody, shall we say, made a few comments which are a little bit negative because you were pointing out some of the difficulties and the challenges that were involved when you were working with potential clients. How did you handle that feedback? And did you think, think it was fair? I think it's perfectly fair feedback because that person, they were in the video production industry themselves. And they were frustrated that I'd shone a light on some of the bad practices that some other agencies provide. Do you think they were taking it a bit personally, maybe? I think it's perfectly justifiable for them to want to take issue with that post. Because think about it, if I came across a post that was saying, here are some things that voiceover artists do that are really crummy and will screw up your workflow. I'd be frustrated. I'd want to point out, well, actually, there are a lot of us who do things beautifully and you should be following us and learning from what we do and, you know, and learning from, from what I can bring to the table as a voiceover artist who has good business practices. Isn't, and, isn't that part of the, 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 the art, though? I mean, you are effectively, you're hidden behind the fourth wall. So if people know that you're there, then you haven't done a good job. It's a bit like in um, the camera <laughs> world, you know, I'm behind the camera. So if people have heard me or seen the fact that I'm participating then I've, I've kind of made a mistake what is it then that you've done then why particularly did you feel like you wanted to step out because you've got quite a public space you've got yourself really well set up in a sound booth there you're sort of pushing yourself out there are you did you feel like you needed to make yourself more public to give yourself more of a profile or is there other ambitions behind that are you stepping out from behind the curtain so to speak to, to take up acting I'm not taking up acting although I'm um... My passion project is with my production company, Flight Path Productions, and we're currently a couple of years into the first production of our first documentary, which I'm going to be presenting. So there is going to be some on-camera sort of elements to my career, but that's Mm -hmm. very much in the future. And that's not how I make my money. In terms of creating an online profile that is very public, I think I just want to be a conduit between people who don't know very much about voiceover Mm-hmm. and people who are interested in, in, in knowing more. I think it's also important to show that there are human beings working in the voiceover industry. I know that sounds really obvious because the creative industry is full of humans taking on all sorts of roles, but because you become part of systems and you know workflows, I just think we should be human first. And right. as much as a text post can get a certain amount across in terms of a message... And some good personality, I suppose, if you're good at writing copy. Actually having a face and a voice and a personality goes so much further because then we know what you're like to speak to. It's interesting that you've been using video as a platform to essentially push, and you've been using stills pictures as well in your campaigns, to push yourself out there. Was there a reason particularly in the choice of platforms you've chosen to market yourself out to other businesses? I have pretty active profile on Instagram. But if I'm honest, that's always felt like the office. It's where I go to chat to other voiceover artists. My friends all hang out there. I see what they're up to in the day. And yeah, sure, I have a few clients that follow me on there and I follow a few clients on there. But by the by, by and large, it's uh, it's a more sort of casual window shopping kind of a space and I'm not that interested in window shopping because frankly websites do that already what I find I get on LinkedIn is discussion and debate and celebrating people's wins and honest takes on the day-to-day of people's lives in various industries 
Now, the marketing landscape has changed because we were in a situation where uh, just having profile would enable you to attract attention and therefore, you, you know, I, I think there's often an argument about whether atta- attention attracts actually paying dollars. Your long-term goal is obviously to help publicize your service and your skills in, as you say, what is essentially a hidden industry. How do you measure the success of your own marketing um, efforts when you're putting yourself out there? I mean, how often do you get um, direct contacts because of the efforts that you're taking to publicize yourself for contracts that you actually get to work on? Well, um, I've actually just today and yesterday have Fine. recorded two radio campaigns, uh, one of which was the biggest radio campaign I have ever done wow. going out across the majority of the south of England. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It was really exciting. Uh, and they were, both of these clients, uh, unrelated to each other, were an absolute delight to work with. And they were people that had got in touch with me after seeing my posts and reaching out to me to follow my work and follow what I do. Wow. That's pretty successful. Yeah, I mean, that's a bona fide example of, of your, your campaigns working. In terms of the branding strategy that you've adopted, uh, which of the different techniques you're using do you find has the most resonance with the audience? Is In terms of your sort of in marketing terms, people, you know, talk about um, attribution of sales. When people give you feedback, do you say, you know, where did you find me? How did you find me? What, what was the deciding factor? What, what's the feedback you've had on your campaign so far? Well, in terms of people that have got in touch with me, they often open with, hey, I read your post about such and such. Now, that could just be them shilling. I could just be the thousandth person that they've reached out to on LinkedIn. But frankly, because we go on to have conversations, it's not just reliant on that post. And I get proof from those conversations with them that they have been following what I've been doing for some time. I think people lurk on LinkedIn before they make contact. And I think they take a bit of time to get to know someone before reaching out. The, the idea of the lurkers is something which has actually appeals to me because I've wondered how often um, new business comes my way from the different ways that I publicize myself on the internet. I've come to terms with the fact that the, the idea of dark social people personally recommending you also happens on the internet you know like you're building a substantial following on linkedin and so people must chat you know they recommend and so i guess we'll find that out over time i have got more concerned myself personally over the impact of ai though on um, roles in the creative industry so i wondered the voice over tech at the moment there what do you what do you reckon of it you rate it i definitely rate some of it but you need to think about why you're using ai you need to be incredibly mindful of whether you're actually saving a great deal or not. Because whilst it may be advertised as a very speedy, fast solution, it's a fast solution to mediocrity, Ooh. not to a strong product at the end of what you're creating. I'm speaking exclusively about AI voices here, not AI in any other area. Right, yes. Okay. So, so have you actually trialled any of the AI voice um Uh, Or have you come up against them in sort of competitive tenders? Not competitively, no. Thankfully, the clients that I work with really recognise the value that a human being can bring to the creative process and are happy to continue paying a human being to to do these voiceover, to complete voiceover works for them. What I have come across is frequently, and I love this, an AI voice being used as a guide track when they send me a rough cut of a commercial that I'm giving a voice to. Right. Right. So previously, if we go to sort of pre-pandemic era, I would often get sent a guide track with a rough cut of a commercial, just so I can sync up my recording to that and get a sense of the the rhythm and the pace of everything. And it would often be voiced by 
someone in the company who, frankly, has, has got more important things to be doing than stepping in and having to give a guide track for a, a voiceover. Um, and I always, it always made me laugh because I thought, well, of course I appreciate a guide track, but I think it's more efficient to have an AI coming in and, and, and doing that for you because then, because then you can get those files to the voiceover over artist and speed up your workflow. AI's been in um, production, media and content production for some time. A long time ago, there was um, a service that we used to use for transcriptions, but it, it, you know, the accuracy now is slightly overwhelming. You've got a very distinctive uh, voice, and your voice is obviously something that people sign you up for. Is there a demographic or industry that you particularly um, get a lot of work in? Because I have seen, uh, am I right in saying you did a um, a LinkedIn post about a audiobook that you're working on? Um, yes, yes. I, I work across multiple areas of the, well, multiple industries with my voiceover work. So mm -hmm. I do audiobooks and video games, and I'm often cast as the villain in those because this British accent just screams villainy to an international market. On the more commercial side of things, this is a voice that has a lot of grit, a lot of character. It's kind of gutsy, but it's also quite intimate. And I tend to be sent a lot of campaigns where they want someone who sounds very warm and down to earth and quote unquote real. Well, it moves a bit away from that sort of more announcery kind of voiceover style that you hear in lots of commercials, but that's just not the sort of thing that I get cast for. Your voice, it stays with you. In other industries, people, if they want to change their positioning, tinker with their brand, there are things that can be done. If you were a, an architect, you could start doing different sorts of buildings. You could start campaigning to work on bridges rather than houses or something. A voiceover artist, you know, you, you are you are your voice. How do you maintain your sort of enthusiasm for what you do? How do you keep yourself excited about using your voice and what's the things that you do for fun with your voice to keep you excited even though this is quite an isolated industry it is just me talking in a box to myself frequently i get to collaborate with the most amazing videographers and copywriters and directors and game developers all around the world so their stamp on everything that i do their direction where we get to meet in the middle is what really creates the most engaging, the most exciting work. And that's why I'm such a champion of really investing on a, on a very genuine emotional level with the work that people in your network are creating, because you want to be excited to work with them. And I am. In the B2B industry, sometimes people associate B2B with being a bit boring. And I wondered, as a voice voiceover artist, what sort of sense of individuality do you bring when you're brought onto a project? What can you do that you feel adds that sort of USP to a project? Well, for starters, there aren't actually a huge number of Husky-voiced voiceover artists out there. There are plenty, but there aren't billions. And I, I consider myself to be very fortunate to have this vocal paralysis and to have this voice um, because it means I automatically stand out. It's interesting. I, I need to be completely confident in everything that my voice is best at and in its limitations so that I can clearly communicate with someone who's looking to cast me in something exactly where I can best fit into their project. My intuition with a script is what you're paying for. It's not just my ability to speak because, frankly, everyone can speak. It's what I can bring to my analysis of what you've written, my interpretation of how that fits with the visuals, 
with the music, with the overall edit. Um, one of my favorite things to do at the end of any recording session, if we have time, and we often do because I'm pretty speedy, is ask if we can just have a take just for fun, where I will take their script and just do something completely different with it. Not something that goes completely outside of the brief that they've looked for and what they're what they're requiring from me as a voice talent, but I just try something a little bit different. I put a spin on it, and I can't tell you the number of times that has ended up being used in the final piece. Oh, because by that time, we've gone over the script a thousand times, and I know exactly what they're looking for, and I know what the purpose of my voiceover is for that commercial. I can then take that and just put my own interpretation. You've talked very personally in a few of your posts, uh, on certainly on LinkedIn, about uh, the reason why you, you have a husky voice. So would you be able to explain to this audience that maybe haven't read your LinkedIn post, you know, why that is the case? Absolutely. I have vocal paralysis. Since birth, my vocal cords have been completely paralysed, which means that they don't make any noise. So these little muscles beneath my vocal cords, called the vestibular folds, have adapted over the years to mimic exactly what vocal cords do but it means that I'm left with a voice that is a little quieter than most and it has this husky quality which makes me sound perpetually unmoved. Now uh, at the moment uh, video technology is changing and the way that people consume video is changing and I wondered whether it played on your mind. Some some of the stats are out there that um, you know 80% of videos being played without sound uh, and that is something that marketers and salespeople that work in, in our industry talk about. However, there is the flip side at the moment, which is that um, podcasts and sound-based events are increasing in popularity. So I wondered, you know, where you lie in that sort of differentiation, because video, they seem to think, you know, it's going to be less useful for people with your talents. Podcasting is obviously taking off. So, you know, what have you noticed in the um, sort of, the, the scheme of your work? It definitely varies industry to industry. So during the pandemic, the audiobook industry increased by about 30%, which is staggering. And people really leaned into the power of what a voice can bring. At the same time, some of my favourite commercials, some of my favourite video games don't have any speaking in them. You can make something that's beautiful and effective without any need for a, a voiceover artist. What I will say is... When a voice is brought into a production, that is a creative decision. And it isn't just done automatically. It's not just, we've got our visuals, we've got our, we, we've got our, our narrative, we might as well get a voiceover artist in. No, it's an additional expense. So when voiceover is brought onto a production, that is a creative decision that is made to match up with the purpose of the production. I don't really mind if voiceover is used a bit less in some video content out there because I'd like it to be used in a meaningful way and I'd like it to be there to have a purpose because otherwise might as well just get an automated voice. The great thing about having a voiceover artist, and I've worked with voiceover artists, both people who are presenting who then go into the voiceover booths for their programs, but also people who have been put forward for bespoke campaigns I've worked on. The advantage of working with voiceover artists is always that if you need a different inflection, if you need just a slightly different sense of emotion, you can say to that person, so I'd be talking to you, and i say, Catherine, um, that's great, that thing you've just said. Um, can we say a, a bit more sense of joy? And I know because you're a pro, you put more joy into that next phrase. And then uh, if I said, well, actually, that can, a bit, can you fit it into 10 seconds now? And then you'd be able to redo it. AI is a computer machine. You're fiddling with dials and stuff like that. It, 
it's it is definitely one of the better parts of working with an individual. I wanted to ask you, is there um, elements of the industry at the moment then that are um, frustrating? Because you have brought that up in some of your posts. What do you think could be changed to improve the relationship and the way that voice server are used? One big issue that still remains and I think has increased since the pandemic is this idea of in perpetuity. This isn't something that the majority of clients have asked me to include in my audio licensing. It's definitely something that a lot of rookie voiceover artists come up against and I still come up against it myself. I'm in the process actually of negotiating a campaign with a huge client and I'm really excited if I can get to work with them. They've asked for in perpetuity as well. It comes up very rarely, but when it does, it is extremely damaging. Just pull that apart for the audience and explain what's the the question, the problem of in perpetuity when it comes to licensing your voice means and how that can affect you in the future. The problem with in perpetuity from a voiceover perspective is say I was booked to do a voiceover for a commercial for an airline and they asked for the license to be in perpetuity. That would mean that they would be allowed to use that recording for the rest of time and potentially across other platforms as well. So financially, that is a huge faux pas because it's preventing me from being paid for the correct industry standard licensing for the use of my voice across multiple platforms and across different durations of time. You wouldn't license something for three months and expect to pay the same rate as licensing it for three years or five years or ten years. In perpetuity is expensive. If I was to give you a ballpark figure, I would have to go high-end because you're asking for something to be released to you for use for decades. For use after I'm dead, you know, it's it's something that is never-ending. So in order for me to actually give you something with a license that's in perpetuity, I would be charging you so much. And the problem there is it doesn't actually benefit the client because... Who is genuinely going to want to use one voiceover recording for a really long period of time? Even companies that use the same voice mm-hmm. as their brand voice, they have new campaigns. They only pay the voiceover artist for using their voice over the duration of that campaign period. There's no point in them paying more. Do you think that maybe that sort of attitude towards your creativity and the ownership of your voice has come about because a lots of people have easy access now. I mean, there's large footage libraries which are easy to get access. There's, you can get voices through AI and people maybe have a slightly less... I'm not saying that we all should be sitting around the radio and worshipping each other's voices, but uh, it, do you feel maybe the sense of somebody's ownership of their own voice and their own content has been devalued then? I am aware of uh, at least four voiceover artists that have been stolen without any consent and formatted and used in AI. Wow. Terrific. That's an extreme case, and I wouldn't put that near anyone that's in my network or anyone that I've worked with or any companies that I've associated with. This idea of value of a voice, again, I think it's contextual. If you have zero budget and you're looking to create things with very little human input, then a human voice isn't much use to you. You may as well go to an AI voice and help it churn out. If you're looking for quantity, then go for AI. And if you're looking for quality, then bring the human element in. And it's the same for, I think, any creative in any media. Is that not possibly there where the opportunity lies moving forward then, where with this proliferation of artificial intelligence in the creative industries, actually standing out from the crowd means that you should be using a human being. And that is a mistake 
to start adopting the sort of industrial use of uh, voices. Is that something that you would agree with? I think, again, it's contextual. We all love a good voice, a good human voice. I'm sure you've heard some of the AI-generated voices of celebrities. Yeah, they're not great. And even when they're good, even when they are quite expertly edited, there's a little feeling somewhere deep down inside that it's not right. There's a little part of me that cries a bit when I hear those voices. I'm sort of like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure that's a robot. I don't want that to be true. Absolutely. And even if it's real, even even if it's uh, been really beautifully edited, do we want to hear the voices of uh, celebrities who haven't consented to say whatever you are typing into that generator? You've got to think about the ethics. And I appreciate that we come at it from a money-making perspective, right? We want to use voiceover to make money. We want to use AI to save money. But there needs to be more to the conversation than just the financial gain. And you need to really question how, as a creative, you are approaching bringing the human element into your productions and what that is really worth to you as an individual. Put the money to one side for a second, just as a human being. Do you want machines to be working with you or do you want to be working with humans? And that's not to say that AI can't massively help speed up that workflow, free up our time to be creative, but there's no point in usurping everything that a human being can offer creatively. As a voiceover artist, you get to hear yourself like after the fact, after your recording, you know, you could be, I guess, that this is a legitimate thing that could happen to you. You could be in the car and then you could hear your voice uh, on a radio ad or something like that. Is it? Is there sort of like, there must be a sense of sort of like, oh, that's me, that's my voice. Um, do you feel like, do you ever notice like when you've had your voice treated and someone's done a really um, great job of like getting the earthiness through of it, you know, the tones, because you can tell when someone's got a nice studio, you can tell when somebody's looked after your voice and content I certainly can tell that with pictures so most of my work in fact I think almost all of it has been recorded in my home studio and I'm immensely proud of that so that that's a huge feeling of pride when you turn on the telly and your voice is on ITV or you're on the BBC radio or something that's lovely because I can think well yeah I recorded that upstairs in my studio that's a really wonderful feeling in terms of how other people then treat my audio, that can be a bit tricky because I don't like audio that's over-edited and some, sometimes it can be a little heavy-handed. And it works for the commercial sometimes or it works for the production, but it might not work as particularly well for my voice as just easing off a little on the post. There's something I ask everybody that I've worked with in voiceover, which is if you're in voiceover, have you never felt like becoming a DJ and working on the radio? What is the what is the difference, do you feel, between those people that, that do the different jobs? People who work in radio need to be able to riff for hours and hours on end in a really improvisational way. Mm -hmm. I'm expert at dealing with scripts and I'm expert at dealing with brand identities and creating personas and atmospheres outside of how I'm feeling that day. To be a good radio host, and I am no expert, but just from my general uh, understanding of it, you need to be dripping in charisma and have the ability to speak almost non-stop about all sorts of things, unscripted. I noticed that because you've got different examples of your work um, on your LinkedIn profile, you're able to adopt a different persona depending on which brand you're working with, which is, I, I guess, part of the medium and the special specialism that you work in. What would be now then, as we come towards the end of the podcast, what would be if you had a product or a sector that you wanted? Is there a dream vector? Is there something, you know, have you always wanted to be the voice of 
A product, X product. Absolutely. I grew up wanting to be the voice of the M&S adverts when they used to have that slow, sensual, middle-aged lady whispering beautifully about this is not just... I'm not going to do the tag, that'll pay me. But yeah, I, I wanted to do that. But they've changed their marketing now. And I know people that have voiced campaigns for M&S since, and they have pushed for more diverse voices. And I think that's really important. I do find it hilarious when you have campaigns for perfumes and there's barely any voiceover at all. And they just say the brand name at the end. I think there's something quite powerful about that, about being just the right voice to say two words. Right, I absolutely agree. There's sometimes you get those moments that you remember. Everybody remembers the music from uh, the milk tray ads. Everybody like everybody remembers that Marks and Spencer's advert. It's like it's 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 kind of iconic in the roundup now. So you it sounds like you're not afraid of AI. You really like working with uh, individuals that can value the human voice. As B2B changes and more and more people adopt uh, different marketing techniques, what do you think the future holds for voiceover artists and, and specifically in the B2B space? In the B2B space, you've got categories like e-learning and corporate voiceover, which I think are going to be the first to be negatively impacted by AI voices, simply because they require perhaps a little less intonation, perhaps a little less drama, perhaps a little less characterization than, say, some commercials. Personally, I think a human will always do a better job than an artificial voice, but at the same time, voiceover artists need to be prepared for that inevitable change. Companies will often go for what is most affordable and what is most useful for their workflow, which is often at speed. By the time people get to the point of bringing voiceovers onto the production, you're in the tail end of production. That's often when you run out of time because perhaps other things earlier on in production have pushed your schedule slightly. So I feel we're going to be negatively impacted by AI and we need to learn how to a, work with it in a positive way. For instance, encouraging our uh, the companies that we work with to perhaps consider AI as a guide track. Mm -hmm. But we also need to be prepared to fight our corner. Equity in the UK, SAG-AFTRA in the US um, are doing all they can at the moment to try and bring in regulations to prevent the misuse of voices uh, by AI companies. And I think we just need to be realistic that it's not going anywhere. And it's only going to improve and artificial voices are only going to get closer and closer and closer to real life. But I'd always say we need to have full confidence in what we bring to the table as human beings, aside from our ability to speak and everything that we bring as a service, aside from talking into a microphone. It's our interpretation and the human element that comes from that that is what has always been the most important most crucial part of a voiceover service. There is something to be said for the connection that you have with somebody else's voice. And if you are on LinkedIn, I would recommend that you come and follow Catherine's profile and see some of the work that she's doing. If anybody's got any... So when people are looking for voiceover artists, it's difficult to find them necessarily because not everybody search engine optimizes. I want people to be able to find you more easily. So where can people find you on the internet? Where are your profile? Well, you can go to voiceovervinclair.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at Catherine Vinclair and also on Instagram under the same name. Excellent. Right. I look forward to seeing the progress of your work. And I wonder, in a couple of months' time, is there any chance that you're going to be any Christmas adverts? 
I certainly hope so. Never had commercials on specifically at Christmas. I, c I come round for the summer ads. Oh. I'm telling people about their holidays. I want to talk to people about Christmas. I want to talk about food, right. drinks and presents oh, and things. You, you, you. So you, it's, I was telling off the, the podcast, but you're the. So you're the voice of summer, are you? Well, I've, I've, I've been, I've been brought on. I think more frequently for holiday campaigns. It's the, the dreamy voice that's whisking you away to a tropical island where you can relax. Yeah, I've got rainy westbury to go back to. Yeah, okay, you're taking me there. <laughs> that's great. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Catherine. Um, I had a real insight into the industry, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of your voice out there on the social platforms. Amazing. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.